How you doing, church? How are you tonight? What a privilege it is to worship with you all. If you don't know me, my name is Vineeth Roy, and let me tell you something a bit crazy. We're nearing the end of 2020. Isn't that nuts? 2020, the year full of craziness and so much things that went, that was so unexpected. Well, it's coming to an end. And as we come to an end of any year, there's usually one thing that's on the mind of most people, right? Christmas. Do you feel the Christmas spirit? As you go to the stores and you see Christmas decorations everywhere, or as you go to Woolies and you see, come on, fruit mince pies, how good? And you know it's Christmas when Michael Bublé and Mariah Carey are coming out of their hibernation again, amen? Now, let me ask with a question. Let me um, start with a question. Can you put your hand up if you've already put up your Christmas tree in your house? Oh, quite a few. I'm also disappointed. Come on, raise your game. But well done. Now, my, my family and I, we uh, put up our Christmas tree this week. Um, yeah, you see a photo right behind us. And it was a good time. Lots of, um, yeah, time of family and fun. Now, Christmas trees are beautiful, aren't they? They're not just any regular tree. They are spectacular. Their decorations can range from tinsel and Christmas lights to Christmas baubles to, of course, the star at the top of the tree. Now, all of these ornaments, they just work together to make the Christmas tree look so radiant and so full of life. But there's a problem. So even though it's, it seems so full of life, even though it's radiating so much energy, you look deeper within and you realize something. That Christmas tree is dead. That no matter how much attention it seeks from its external beauty, that tree isn't alive. It's dead. I wonder... How much are we like Christmas trees? How often do we, like them, place so much focus on our flashy exterior which draws so much attention in that we actually neglect the interior and we let it die away? So the unfortunate reality is that we can let our faith be dependent on our religious performances and our reputation rather than our relationship with God. We become Christmas tree Christians. We can get so caught up with how others perceive us that we lose what should be our focus, which is our intimacy with God. Well, Jesus makes it clear in his Sermon on the Mount that he's not looking for Christmas tree Christians who look so, um, so righteous and holy but on the inside are dead. Now Jesus is looking for genuine, authentic disciples who not only follow him with their actions and with their lips, but with their hearts. See, Jesus has been teaching us about how to live for the kingdom of God. In his sermon so far, and as we come closer to the end of his sermon, we are going to see tonight that kingdom living seeks to live in intimate devotion to our King 
not in devotion to the world. Before we do, though, I want to encourage you, why don't you get out your Bibles, open it up to Matthew 7. And if you don't have a journal or a Bible with you, I give you permission, you can use your phone. But please, take notes with me, because as we approach God's Word, let's have an attitude where we want to know God more intimately. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you for who you are, and we want to thank you for your word that you've given us. And Lord, what a privilege it is that we can meet together today, despite what's going on in the world, and that we can open up your word together. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that um, as you share the message that you want um, to share for our community, Lord, that we can have ears that will hear, that we can have hearts that will receive, Lord, that you can um, soften our hearts, Father, and help this message to really convict us and challenge us the way it has challenged me. I pray that we can put less of our focus on our religious performances, Lord, and more on our relationship with you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, family and friends, if you didn't know, we have been studying the, the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount for the past six weeks, and I wonder what you've gotten out of it so far. We've heard so much about the marks of a disciple, how we are ought to be gentle, to be peacemakers, to be merciful and pure in heart. We've heard about kingdom priorities, how we are to live for the kingdom of God and not for the kingdom of man or for the kingdom of now. And we've heard about how Jesus longs for us to be distinct from our dark, dark world and to shine as lights for his glory. Now, these are just a few things of, of what we've heard, but you'll see tonight, as we enter the concluding sections of his sermon, that all of what Jesus has been teaching up to this point is really leading to this passage. Look with me at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You see, Je Jesus' sermon has been all about either living for the temporary world of today, or for living for the eternal kingdom of God. And everything is coming to this passage and is coming to this point where we have to make a decision about which path we're going to take with our lives. Are we going to take the easy, wide path? Or are we going to take the narrow path that is marked with difficulty and suffering? See, Jesus, he's calling us to take the, the narrow path of life. And all of his teaching so far has been intended to equip us on this journey, to help us. And tonight we're going to see three warnings that Jesus gives us to help us keep on track and not be distracted by our world. We're going to talk about three things that we need in order to travel through the narrow path that leads to life and avoid the wide path that leads to destruction. 
We're going to talk about how we need resistance and we need to grow discernment and we need authenticity. So let's start with our first need for tonight. We're going to start with resistance. Everyone say resistance. Resistance. See, we need to resist against the empty allure of the wide path. See, in verses 13 and 14, we have two options. We have the wide and the narrow path. And the wide road is easy, right? Anyone can do it and there's no effort required. You are free to follow your own desires, no questions asked. And the wide road has a wide gate, meaning that anyone can enter it. It sounds pretty good, right? And the, wide, and the, the narrow road, the narrow road requires resistance. It requires us not to act on our urges, but to use self-control and have obedience to Jesus' way of life. So one way is easy and requires nothing of us, and the other way requires us to deny ourselves and our desires. Gee, I wonder which one sounds more appealing, right? I don't know about you, but I, I like the easy road. So I wonder, why is this easy path a warning from Jesus. But when God made the world, he had a purpose for us in the way that we ought to live um, our lives and treat his creation. But the sad reality is that we as human beings are inherently evil. We have a tendency to sin, which is this heart attitude of rejecting God and living lives our own way. And this sin, this has made us enemies with God and we are deserving of death as punishment. And our tendency to sin, this is what the Bible calls our flesh. And it's because of our flesh that drives us not only to sin, but drives us down the wide path that eventually leads to our destruction. However, the narrow path that Jesus calls us to, the path that, he, that leads to life, calls for resistance. And the first thing we need to resist is our desire to follow our flesh. You see, Jesus, out of his love for us, decided to give us a way out from our sin by taking the punishment we deserved so that we could be set free. But he didn't die so that we could just continue to sin, but that we could live the way that God originally called us to. See, the path that Jesus calls us to is narrow, right? It has boundaries. And these are boundaries that aren't bad. These are boundaries that are for our good to protect us and help us fulfill our purpose. Have a look at what Jesus says in Mark 8:34. He says, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." Therefore, to walk down the narrow path to life, we need to resist our desire to follow our flesh and follow after Christ and his example. So first thing we need to resist is our flesh. And the next thing we need to resist 
is to follow the crowd. See, look at verse 13 and 14. See, many people enter the wide path, but only a few enter the narrow. And this is a problem for us because we as human beings, we have a tendency to long for acceptance, don't we? Let me tell you a bit about my best mates, right? See, they are incredibly indecisive, right? Indecisive. Every time we hang out, I'll say, bro, what do you want to eat? And they'll say the same things. They'll say, Benice, I don't mind, I don't know, up to you. Have you heard those words before? Oh, man, I don't know about you, it drives me up the wall. <laughs> now, I know it's not just my best mates. I know it's everyone here. We all have an attitude of indecisiveness at times. And what really drives our attitude of indecisiveness is our desire to please others and to avoid disappointing them. And don't get me wrong, indecisiveness about food is fine, okay? But the problem is when that attitude seeps into every other part of our life. When it affects our hobbies, when it affects our lifestyle, when it even affects who and what we live for. You see, slowly but surely, our desire to please others can also lead us to sin. Maybe your friends are making fun of someone and they're asking you to join in. Or maybe you go to a party and everyone's drinking around you and they encourage you to get drunk with them and you don't want to be a social outcast, do you? Or maybe your girlfriend or your boyfriend want to get physical beyond your boundaries. And if you're not careful, your, your attitude to want to please others can actually lead you to some pretty dark places. See, the wide road is easy and it's popular because you don't have to do anything, you don't have to resist. But Jesus calls us to resist our flesh and also what everyone else does around us. But how do we do that? How do we go about this resistance? Or well, to resist the wide path, we need to surrender to Jesus who is the narrow path. Let me say that again. To resist the wide path, we need to surrender to Jesus, who is the narrow path. Notice that the path that leads to life is narrow, and it also has a narrow gate. Now look, at, look with me at John chapter 10, verse 9, where Jesus says that I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. See, Jesus is the narrow gate. And it's narrow because you can only enter through him. As it says in Acts 4.12, that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So not only is Jesus the narrow gate, he is the only gate. And not only is he the, the narrow gate, he is also the narrow way. As Jesus says in John 14, that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you see, the way to life is not only a way of life, it is a person. 
And so to travel along the narrow path is not only to resist the wide path, it is to surrender to Jesus. And as you continue to surrender yourself to Jesus, he will guide you along the way. As it says in Proverbs 3, verse 6 and 7, Trust in the Lord with, your, with all your heart and lean not onto your own understanding. Trust in him. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. What a beautiful truth this is, that even though the narrow path is difficult, we have our God with us, and as we trust in him, he will guide the way. What a blessing. So the first thing that we need to travel along the wide, so the narrow path is resistance against the world and its empty allure of the wide path. The second thing that we need is discernment. Everyone say discernment. So we need to discern who it is that we follow and who it is that we watch out for. See, the second thing that Jesus warns us against are false prophets. Now, false prophets are also, you can also call them false teachers, right? Because they don't teach truth about God. They teach lies and they pretend they have the authority of God. So look with me at verse 15, because the first thing we learn is that false teachers are deceptive enemies. It says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now Jesus often likens his disciples to that of sheep. And false prophets may look like sheep on the outside, But on the inside, they're like hungry wolves ready to devour. And just like wolves who love to feast on weak, defenseless sheep, false teachers are predators who wait for us to lower our guard until they attack. So no matter who they are, whether they're your close friends from uni or from school or from work, or or maybe they're someone that you follow on Instagram, on social media. Jesus tells us to watch out for these false prophets so that we don't fall for their deception. But the sad reality is, despite Jesus' warnings, we so often fall for their deceptive schemes. And why is this? It's because we tend to determine who we follow or associate with based on the wrong measures. Let me say that again. We tend to determine who we follow or associate with based on the wrong measures. So instead of measuring them by God's standards, we tend to measure them by the world's standards. Success, popularity, charisma, eloquence. We tend to think that a successful and popular teacher must be a godly teacher without actually investigating who it is that they are and what it is that they teach. Now many of you know that I work at a Christian um, retail store in the city called Kurong and 
Look, we have plenty of fantastic books, fantastic authors. Don't get me wrong, this is not an advertisement. Um, <laughs> but the hardest part of working there is when customers come in and they ask, beneath, can I have this book? Can you find it for me? And it's by an author that is so outrightly preaching false doctrine. This pains me every time. It makes me wonder, though, what is it about these false prophets that makes people buy their books or follow them? Well, many of these false teachers have one thing in common, right? They have success, they have popularity, they're often you know, pastors of mega churches, and, and unfortunately, many of us tend to mistake worldly success for godly spiritual success. We incorrectly assume that a successful leader, as defined by our culture, must be a godly leader. You see, these false teachers, they may seem like they're on the narrow road, but really they're on the wide road. And Jesus is telling us to watch out because if we don't, we're going to fall for their traps and we're going to go with them down the wide road to destruction. So I hear someone say, how can we discern for these false teachers? Well, Jesus gives us a very clear principle. In fact, he gives, us, gives this twice in verse 16 and verse 20. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So Jesus makes it clear that you can tell a person's identity by their fruit. And by fruit, Jesus isn't talking about worldly things like success or popularity or eloquence. So what is Jesus talking about by fruit? And how do we discern good fruit from bad fruit? Well, first, let's look at the context of the passage. So Jesus is talking about false teachers. And so Jesus could be meaning both the quality and the accuracy of their message. So ask yourself, am I following this person because their message is true and faithful to God's word? Because if it's not, despite their eloquence, despite their success, it's meaningless. And secondly, we can tell a person's fruit by their character. Have a look at what Paul says in Galatians 5. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. See, these are all what we can refer to as the bad fruit that Jesus talks about. But Paul goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So not only does a good teacher produce these good fruits of the Spirit, but they avoid producing the bad fruit of the flesh. So when we discern good and bad teachers, ask yourself this question, is their character consistent with what the Lord teaches us? 
So church, I want to ask you some questions for you to think about for yourself. Firstly, who are the kinds of people in your life that you follow? Who are the kinds of people in your life that you follow? And once you've got an idea, what is it about them that makes you um, inspired? Is it their fruit? Or is it their worldly success? And finally, are there people you need to stop following in your life? Whether that's, again, friends at school or uni or work, or whether that's someone on social media. Ask yourself the question, are they leading me towards the wide, the wide path or the narrow path? As members of the narrow path to life, we need to be discerning for who it is that we follow and who we should follow, watch out for. As faithful disciples of Christ, we need to be following in the faithful teachings of faithful teachers. And we need to be learning from the faithful examples of their character. So tonight we've talked about how we've needed resistance and discernment in order to travel down the narrow path that leads to eternal life. But Jesus clear, clearly states that we, don't, we need another thing as well. In fact, this may be the most important one of them all. The third thing we need is authenticity. Everyone say, authenticity. authenticity. So we need to stop basing our faith on our religious performances and our reputation. We need to center our lives on our intimate relationship with our King. Let's read from verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So Jesus talks about the inevitable day where he'll come back and judge. And he'll encounter many false disciples who again rely on their incredibly impressive exterior. They prophesy, they drive out demons, they perform miraculous works. But there's a problem. See, notice what they say three times in verse 22. In your name, in your name, in your name. But no matter how many times they said the right things, no matter how many times they did the right things, Jesus said that they never knew him. So they were never genuine, authentic Disciples. In fact, they spoke empty words out of empty hearts. And they used Jesus' name only to look impressive and righteous. This brings us back to our Christmas tree analogy. Though these disciples looked so spectacular on the outside, they were dead on the inside. 
There was a complete absence of a relationship with God. And these people may still call themselves Christians, they may still come to church or Bible study, they may still serve in ministries, but they don't know God. They don't know or love Him. They seem to have a spiritual life, but really, they are just putting on a spiritual performance in order for applause. They are just using God for His name and for their own glory rather than being willing to be used by Him for His glory. In other words, they lack authenticity. And this is evident by what Jesus calls them at the end of the passage. What's that? Evil doers. You see, even though they were doing mighty works for the name of Jesus, their hearts were still rejecting him. Church, is that some of us tonight? Is that me? Is that you? Are we just Christmas tree Christians who rely so much on our impressive exterior but are actually far from God and we're dead on the inside? Do we just do things for the name of Jesus rather than for Jesus himself? Some of us need to learn to lay aside our religious performances and our reputation and remember that we are saved by faith and that works are only a result of our faith, not a replacement. We are saved by faith and faith alone and that works are only a result not a replacement. Have a look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might, be, we might become the righteousness of God. So we don't need to prove ourselves or earn our righteousness because we have the righteousness we need in Jesus. We don't need to demonstrate our own spiritual greatness because we can rely on his greatness. And as we've learned, good trees produce good fruit. And so we will produce great ministry for God, but it will be out of a heart that intimately loves him, not out of a heart that just simply wants to look righteous. You see, just like these false disciples, we need to remember that we can say all the right things. We can do all the right things, but if our heart is not in it, if we don't know God, it's meaningless. As Paul says, he counts everything as lost for the sake of knowing Christ. See, being a follower of Christ is about a relationship, not a religion. Let me say that again. Being a follower of Christ is about a relationship, not a religion. So how can we work on our authenticity? Well, that comes to Vinny's three Ps for tonight. P number one, prioritize your time with God. See, no matter how much ministry you do, whether you know, you're in the youth, you're a youth leader or you're on the band or you're a member of our welcoming team or our ushering team or whatever other else ministry you do, if you don't have any input and all you're doing is output, then you're not serving out of a heart that knows God. You're, you're serving from a heart that is dry. 
And I'm not saying that serving God is bad. In fact, serving God is amazing. It's something that we should all do. It is a privilege. And it's something that draws us closer to God. But the thing is, we need to know God in order to serve him well. So spending time with God daily is the best way to keep fostering an authentic heart that loves Jesus and wants to serve him for him, not for ourselves. The second P for tonight is pray for your heart. Pray for your heart. I want to challenge you. Every time you come to church from now on, I want you to pray that you, you come to church to intimately know God, not just for a religious attendance or performance. And as you serve God, I want you to pray for your heart that you're serving for the applause of our maker, not the applause of others. So prioritize your time with God, pray for your heart, and third P, pursue authentic community. The reality is that iron sharpens iron. See, being around others who are passionately on fire for God is inspiring. And church, let's be that community. Let's be that authentic community that isn't afraid to talk about our walk with God. But let's be one that keeps each other accountable. So I want to give you a challenge for tonight. As we finish off our service, and as we spend time together, I want you to find three people that you can ask one question to. And the question is, how is your walk with God going? Right? Find three people after the service and ask them, how is your walk with God going? Because we know that with brothers and sisters around us, even when things are difficult, we can support each other to push for an authentic faith and not one that just looks good on the surface. We don't just want to bring our Sunday best, right? Not just with the clothes that we wear, but our faces with our lives. We don't just want to rock up to church thinking everything is okay and making sure everyone thinks that we're all good when inside we're far from God. Let's not be that community. Let's be an authentic community that looks out for one another. So tonight, we've learned about how Jesus' entire sermon is really directed to this passage, where Jesus calls us to make a decision, a decision of where we're gonna, uh, what path we're going to take with our lives, the wide, easy path that leads to destruction or the narrow path that leads to life. And we've learned three things that we need in order to walk down that narrow path. Can you remember them? First thing was resistance, yeah? We need to resist the world's emptier law of the, of the wide path and fix our gaze on Jesus. Secondly, we need discernment. We need to discern who it is that we follow and who it is that we should avoid. And finally, we need authenticity. A life and a faith that is not just dependent on its spectacular works and exterior, but is focused around a genuine and authentic 
relationship with God. Well, church, why don't you stand to your feet and use those you can get set up. Now, I want you guys to bow your heads and just close your eyes for a moment. So I want to speak to, to all of us, wherever you're at. See, some of us, some of us don't even know God. We might not even call ourselves Christian, or, or even if we do, we, we've never really truly known him. I want to bring you back to that decision that you can either take the wide or the narrow path. And Jesus is calling you tonight to take the road of life. The gate may be narrow because he is the gate, but he is standing there, arms open wide, ready to receive. And if you want to accept Christ tonight, I strongly urge you, to come find one of us. I'm happy to talk to you. I'm happy to pray for you. And I'm sure Ollie is happy to pray for you as well. And let's talk about next steps on how we can go through the narrow path together. For those of you who may be feeling like Christmas tree Christians here tonight, who focus so much on your religious performances, I think God is calling you tonight to come back to him and not just your works. He's asking you to lay down your religion to have a relationship with him. And once again, he is standing with open arms, ready to receive. So if you want to ditch the the Sunday best that you've been wearing, please do. Let's be authentic and real, not just with God, but with each other. Well, church, we're going to continue to worship our God through our music, through our singing tonight. And singing is such a privilege, such a beautiful thing that we can do to worship God. But I want to bring you back to that last point of authenticity, that we're not sitting here or standing here just for a concert by these guys. We're here to sing our genuine praises to God. And if you're afraid that you're a bad singer or or whatever it is, look, God doesn't judge you on that. He doesn't look at our performances. He looks at our devotion. He looks at our heart. And so I want to encourage you as we sing together, sing not just from your lips and from your mouth, sing from your heart. As we sing about how our worth doesn't come from ourselves, it comes from the cross. Let's declare that truth. Let's give him praise. And if you need prayer, I'd love to pray for you. Let's worship our God.